two minutes past 10 to join our good friend, Mr. Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's having a just a delightful day. So it's. Uh... Hey, I just brought up the Decora Eagle Cam, that live cam. Mm-hmm. And I see that the eaglets, there's three of them, they're still all alive, and now they're all black. They were kind of a brownish, kind of a yep. mottled-looking thing, and now they're all black, and and their mama was just there, and she just left. So let's uh, talk a little bit about them, because I know some other folks are watching the Decora Eagle Cam. You just Google, and you can see them live, and right now they're just sitting up in the tree waiting for mom to come back and feed them. And they're, um, all three are doing well. Their mom's a good hunter, and there's uh, food, plentiful food nearby for her. And I'm sure she's just going to be real happy when they're uh, <laughs> out of the nest, though, because, boy, you know, it's how, just... Uh, how long do they stay there again for before they head out? Oh, uh, you know, they'll they'll be there. Boy, how old are they now? Two months? They must be getting pretty close, 50-some days, maybe the oldest one. I'm thinking, I'm not sure. I've been on the road, so I haven't looked at it for a while, but I think they're, the oldest is 50, oh man, 52 or three days. I'm probably way off When does their head turn white? Because they're all black. I mean, they they look like they could be kind of rough, kind of rough looking crows right now. They're all so just dark. Yeah, they um, get a, a white head, oh, Four and a half to five years, typically. I know a lot oh of the my. books and things will say four to five years, but it's it's four and a half, probably five years. And I know we had one up in Haines at uh, the Eagle Center. There was, oh, I, th- I want to say she was five and a half, five and a half ye- years old before she got white. But in answer to your first question, and I wish I knew how. I re- say one's 50 years old, uh, they're n- or 50 days old, rather, in the um, in the nest. Their nestling period is anywhere from probably two months to uh, a little over three months, so they can spend in that nestling. So that make them up to, uh, you know, it's a, be a little over three, so they can be almost 100 days old mm. in, before they give up being a nestling. So... So she's got them for a while in there because she incubates eggs for about 35 days, and then she can have them up to 98 days. Do they ever move back home like some college kids? (laughs) (laughs) They they always say they don't, but then they do some studies on them, and then they find out that, you know, once in a while they come and just fly in and... And they say, yeah, that's where I grew up, right there. Huh. So they they would like to come back to their probably where they were uh, hatched, some of them. But, you know, these eaglets could go to Florida or somewhere and uh, find uh, the mate of their choice down there. And then who knows where they end up. They might end up in Florida. They might end up in Minnesota. Or they might end up somewhere in between. So they start a whole new life with a mate. But... Uh, they do say some of them do come back, uh, not very often, and once they reach a certain age, then they're pretty much done coming back, so get their own lives going. But it is a, it's a fun thing to watch, and uh, I, I've been behind the steering wheel, and, you know, it's really hard to watch that stuff from the steering wheel. And they tell me that's not a good idea, so so I don't do it, but <laughs> I... Um, 
it, it's just fun to watch. As I've t- been telling everybody, it's a soap opera. It really is. Uh, this this poor mom has had about everything happen to her. Her uh, mate disappear, uh, raising three babies by herself, and then having um, this stranger show up and uh, show some interest in her. So it's, uh, I don't know, Bridges of Madison County. Has, kind of has the stranger on. stayed or still, is he still around? I think he's still around. Okay. He hangs out on a limb out there once in a while, and she just, uh, she, I think she likes him now. She puts up with him, and she trusts him with uh, the eaglets, and so life is good. I don't know that he's... Uh, any help, although uh, a friend who's uh, down there said it's been the um, stranger, the new male, has been chasing other things from the area. So he's uh, become territorial, and he's helping her in that way that she just doesn't have to deal with all those other kind of things going on. Uh, I remember a few years ago, and I don't think it was a decora one, but another one where a raccoon got into the nest. And so they had to battle this raccoon. and it, There's just always something going on. We just think, oh, you know, to be as free as a bird, what a lovely life. Um, boy, watch that eagle cam for a while. She has as hectic a life as anybody. The only difference, I think, is she doesn't have to take the eaglets to soccer practice. That's uh, Other than that, she's got everything going on with those guys. Uh, here in beautiful Heartland, I had the blues, and I was happy to have them because there were six male indigo buntings at my feeders at one time, and it made me to, made me want to run out and hug a cardinal. Uh, there was a female bunting, too. She's a lovely brown bird, and some might call her a LBJ, little brown job. And this morning's uh, bird song was a flawless symphony. I stopped to check at the Purple Martin house yesterday. An egret flew over, and as egrets go, it was a great one. Uh, Bobolink sang a song that's been described as a tinkle of fairy music, like the strains of an old Greek harp. And Bobolinks wear black tuxedos, only they've got them turned the wrong way. So they have the wrong side at the front. So when you think of, just think of the birds you see in your yard and stuff, most birds that have contrasting plumages are light underneath, like uh, a bluebird or a robin. They're lighter color underneath and in the back. Dark on top, light underneath. Uh, Bobolinks are the reverse of that. I heard uh, horn larks yesterday. It's the only native lark in North America, and it begins nesting early in the spring. And it also has a tinkling song that the males sing when they do flight displays from high overhead. The horns of the horn lark are feathered tufts. A great crested flycatcher covered in feathers of many earth tones has been pursuing flying insects in the yard. I spotted turkey vultures in a dead tree yesterday, and, well, that seemed appropriate. A squirrel ran past. They can run up to 20 miles per hour, and they work up a sweat. And they have sweat glands in their feet. So squirrels actually do sweat. Uh, Jeff Balls, a friend of mine from uh, Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, uh, got a hold of me and told me that he'd spotted a barred owl, and it was eating night crawlers on a road. So we think of barred owls as, oh, you know, like all owls and hawks, these ferocious things that just rule the night and catch things that owls do. And he was out there eating night crawlers. 
uh, there's so many mysteries <clears throat> to uh, to bird migration, and the wandering of birds leaves me wondering. Uh, birds can be expected, but they can confound expectations. This past week, I spoke at Iowa Lakes uh, Community College down in Emmitsburg, Iowa, where it was 90-some degrees. Then I traveled to St. Benedict College, where I taught some uh, writing classes up at St. Joseph, and then headed over to Ashland, Wisconsin, near the uh, Bayfield, Wisconsin, and uh, where I uh, spoke at Northland College there and then participated in the Shawamigan Bay Birding Festival. And the warblers there, I spent all one day uh, hiking on the trail. I forgot about eating. I forgot about sitting down. I forgot about doing anything. I walked the whole day looking at warblers, and it was at a fish hatchery outside Bayfield, Wisconsin. I, I can't tell anybody really how wonderful that was. I was just uh, the happiest of campers just doing that, walking down that trail. A red fox trotted through my yard not long ago, and I was happy to see it. A study by an ecologist at the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies found that where Lyme disease is present, it occurred most often where the number fox numbers were the lowest. And the reason is because red foxes are effective predators of mice who are major carriers of Lyme disease. Uh, yesterday, the day's red-winged blackbird's opponent was a bald eagle, and the blackbird was fighting out of its weight class, but it hectored the eagle enough that it landed in a farm field. Uh, the feistiness of a red wing is pretty impressive. And I heard a keck, keck, keck coming from on high. It was the call of a cooper's hawk, and that's the chicken hawk of my boyhood days. And I hear that sound often when I'm near the raptor's nest. An impressive aerial skirmish took place. A crow and a hawk fussed with one another. Then a second crow came in like the cavalry to put the hawk on the run, and they forced the coopers to land in a tree. The crows turned the fly away. You can hear them talking to one another, saying, boy, we showed that hawk. Yeah, way to go. And that hawk came shooting out of that tree at breakneck speed and chased both of the crows out of the neighborhood. It was it was fun to watch. I don't think anything was injured, just uh, some feathers ruffled. Uh, Jamie Tem Tennyson of Clark's Grove said she found a wild bee tree. She said it's an oak with a fairy hole in it, and there are bees. Uh, so... Uh, it's cool. We don't see many the wild honeybee trees anymore. She heard a Sora calling, and uh, Mary Tustison of Allendale said she's lived on the farm where she is for 56 years and never saw 24 goldfinches lined up on a clothesline before. Also seeing lots of Orioles, Tom Dolan, Chris Thiem, and Wayne Fetter found an ibis on the south side of Minnesota Lake. Deb Flatness of Heartland, a northern mockingbird. Uh, Kathy Paulson of Geneva said her feeders have been busy with uh, rose-breasted grosbeaks, indigo buntings, and yellow-headed blackbirds. Uh, Chad Hines of Mankato saw snow geese, white-fronted geese on Lura Lake, also a field near there, semi-palmated plovers, Dunlin, white-rumped sandpiper, 
pectoral sandpipers, semi-palmated sandpipers, least sandpipers, and lesser yellow legs. Cemetery on the north side of the town of Minnesota Lake is one of Chad's favorite migrant traps. There he saw Swainson's thrush, white-throated sparrow, black-throated green warbler, black-burnian warbler, bay-breasted warbler, yellow warbler, Tennessee warbler, black pole, yellow-rumped warblers, least flycatcher, eastern wood peewee, great crested flycatcher, black and white warbler, ruby-crowned kinglet, and pine siskin. Also in that area, great egret, great blue heron, Forster's tern, yellow-bellied sapsucker, and northern flicker. Perch Lake and WPA ringneck duck, uh, a field north of the Cobb River, WPA were widgeon, shoveler, and gadwall. Alice and Bourne Lakes had western grebes. Gilfillan Lake, lesser scop, and Madison Lake, a hairy woodpecker. Marianne Venom of Albert Lee sent me a photo of a coot. I just think they're beautiful birds. Are they the black? Uh, are they the blackbirds coots? They're the ones that we call mud hens. Very okay, often. gotcha. And they have the when they walk on land to eat grass, they look like they're wearing clown shoes. Okay. They just have these big floppy feet, and it makes them look. Uh, Oh, I don't know. It's clumsy, I guess. It's they're not, but that's the way they look. And um, coots have uh, a tough time too because uh, eagles, like my eagle down there in Decorah, find coots just uh, exceedingly good food to feed their babies. Do you think that's where the you know the name old coot? He's such an old coot. You know, I remember my parents using that. That old coot. <clears throat> I, I it's think not it's a very nice reference either. So <laughs> uh, I've been called it many times, and I think it definitely comes from that. So, and I think it's better than being called an old mud hen. Okay, <laughs> coot has a better sound to it. So, it's um, the best thing to do is when somebody uh, calls you an old coot, is just thank them, say, "Wow, how nice of you to say that," and then they, they'll stop pretty soon yeah. if they okay. if they find out you enjoy it. Julia Otten, who is in the plant science program at the University of Minnesota, sent me a picture of a plant on the edge of some woods near Hayward. She is uh, originally from Hayward, uh, Minnesota. And she said she can't find any information about it and asked if I knew anything. And, oh, I'm so glad when somebody like that asked me a question that I actually know the answer. It is um, has a number of different names. It's horsetail, scouring rush, or scouring rush horsetail. And it comes up on a little, uh, oh, popweed is another name for them. It comes up on a little single, it's a prehistoric-looking plant, uh, like a straw coming up out of the ground, beautiful green, grows maybe four feet tall. It's a perennial has very rough stems, and they were once used for cleaning and scouring of pots and pans, hence the name Scouring Rush. I have used them if I've got a little hangnail or something. I, I've used them to, uh, they work just like a nail file. They'll really? take it right down. Yeah, your, own little em- a, your own natural emery board. If you put natural yeah. organic on it, you could make a lot of money. It's a wonderful plant. Uh, yeah, I just uh, I really enjoy seeing them. We see a lot of them growing along the roadside. Is it invasive, though? It seems to me I saw in a Master Garden listserv they talked about that as possibly being invasive, or am I thinking of something else? I, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, Karen, because so many of those plants, uh, wild plants that uh, we enjoy and look at, and I, I tell uh, the story many times about 
going out in the woods and digging, digging up uh, violets and ferns and planting <laughs> yeah. them in our backyard and then saying that little prayer, you know, please, Lord, just let these grow. It would be so nice to have a couple of violets and maybe a fern in the backyard. Well, within about two years, uh, our backyard was ferns <laughs> and violets. So. Right. So a lot of those uh, native plants have survived and done well because they are uh, they're aggressive, and that might be the case with uh, horsetail. Um, Bill Entorf uh, said, "Al, I've got a let's see, uh, Al, I've got a bird at my feeder I've never seen before. It looks like a purple finch, but it has yellow mottled feathers with purple on the chest." Under the tail, it's yellow to almost orange, no eye stripes or rings, has a beak like a fence, the tail is notched, any help would be appreciated. I also saw some trumpeter swans. Bill, it is a house finch. Oh. All, all male house finches have the potential for yellow, orange, or red coloration. And it's pigments found in the natural foods that give house finches their colors. John Paul Cruzy of Wells said, two American bitterns on the north side of Minnesota Lake. They're uh, fun ones to point out. Saw my first olive-sided flycatcher ever for me. Uh, let's see, what else did he have here? He, uh, I guess that is it for uh, John Paul. Uh, John from New Ulm said, uh, why did the bee get allergy medicine? <laughs> And, um, you know, John, I know that one, too. I've been spending a lot of time with youthful folks uh, every May. I teach a lot of writing classes. And um, if we have a couple minutes before the bell rings, it's too long to start anything else. So what we do are knock-knock jokes oh. or riddles. And, uh, you know, I have to give them the whole speech. They have to be kind, considerate, and no dirty words and that sort of thing, not right. sexist and they get this whole litany of things, and uh, they still come up with uh, really good ones. So this one I have heard, why did the bee get allergy medicine? It was, well, it had hives. Ah. Uh, it, it's a great one, but, uh, and John said, maybe Al will get that one. So he was, um, was right. you know, he was supportive, and I appreciate that, John. Uh, John said, a few weeks ago I had a pet peeve about people throwing cigarettes out the window, and John says uh, he, he has a pet peeve, but he feeds and waters every day. So <laughs> that, that's good if you're going to have a pet peeve. Take care uh, of it. Yes. <clears throat> Tim Poulos said the Minneopa State Park bird count will be Saturday, June 2nd from 7 to 11 a.m. And I don't think you have to get a hold of anybody. If it just happens, you know, you wake up 5 o'clock on Saturday, June 2nd and say, you know what I'd like to do today is count birds. I wonder where I can do that. Just head out to Minneopa State Park and meet at the group camp, and you will be um, you'll be welcomed and set upon the birds. Dwayne Steele of Conger said he was very happy to see bluebirds. Uh, Dwayne and Donna Swenson of Wasika, a groundhog on their deck. Sherry Daniel sent my wife a photo of a marsh marigold. I was wondering what that was. And when I was a boy, it was called cowslip. Yeah, I, we, we always it. called it the cowslip, too. And I remember in the spring, we would always go after church, drive down to the back 40. We called it the blueberry 40. And there was kind of, a, it's kind of a little swampy, I think. Does it like, likes it moist, I think. And I recall going, and that's what we would do as a family. We would go find the cowslips. 
I took my, uh, and growing up around uh, the area, a lot of people would call every yellow flower this time of year, it was a buttercup. It didn't matter oh. what it was, they just called it all buttercups. I took my camera for a walk because I love skunk cabbage, and uh, I saw all kinds of marsh marigold, because skunk cabbages and uh, marsh marigold kind of share the same area. Marsh marigolds, I don't know how much of a smell they have, but skunk cabbage have quite a smell. What does skunk I, cabbage I, look like? I, I, trying to picture. They have big leaves, and they they would remind uh, people of uh, oh, a pitcher plant or Venus flytrap or something with a flower below the leaves. Uh, they're just a really beautiful plant. But you'll uh, know I it if you step on it because it stinks? They, I can smell them when I walk uh, by them. There's a little bit of a smell, and I'm assuming that they are probably pollinated by flies and things, so they need to have that smell, uh-huh. that smell that we consider not very good. But if you're a fly, you love it. you're thinking that's a great place to raise a family <laughs> right there. I'm gonna, there's where my maggots will grow up. Oh. So. <laughs> Uh, Harold Herfindahl of Fairmont sent a photo of a painted bunting, and oh, I'd love to have seen that bird. I was on the road and uh, got home, and Harold said it had flown the coop. But this is a multi- this is a little bird of many colors, just like Joseph's coat. Uh, Jamie Tennyson of Clark's Grove, a northern mockingbird. Glenn Austin of Heartland, an American bittern. Uh, Mike Dombrowski of New Richland said, "Hello, Al. Hope all is well." Just a note you may be interested in, in the last week, my dad, Bob, has had great catbirds and a scarlet tanger feeding on his jelly and suet. He has maybe had a catbird once or twice through the years, but the tanager is the first. We were wondering if the late spring has something to do with it, maybe. Keep up the good work. Love your writing. Well, thanks, Mike. That's nice of you to say. Yeah, it, there's certainly a chance. Uh, scarlet tangers do like jelly, and gray catbirds love jelly. So uh, that's they m- might have been there anywhere, but this year has kind of thrown their schedules off a little bit. Uh, Rich in Mankato said, while visiting Glenwood Cemetery on Friday, I came upon three turkeys right next to the Blacktop Drive. When I got right next to them, they were gobbling for a bit, not sure if I was a threat or a love interest. They were strutting with their tail feathers flared. I gave a very poor gobble-gobble, and they returned with very loud gobbles. They went back and forth. Yeah, it's pretty cool with turkeys. I was out at Byron, and the turkeys were gobbling, then they'd shut up, and then a coyote made a little bit of yipping. And that set off all the turkeys again. They are all gobbling. So pretty much uh, I'm not... uh, denigrating your gobbling ability they're rich by any means but uh, pretty much any loud noise will set them off they're um, they're they're all in love right now is what's going on with turkeys uh, mary tustison of allendale asked if uh, the goldfinches in her yard will nest there uh, the american goldfinches main natural habitats are Oh, they like weedy fields and floodplains where plants such as thistles and asters are common. And But, of course, they're also found in backyards, cultivated areas, orchards, roadsides. Goldfinches can be found at our feeders all year long, and they don't start nesting until July when the fibers such as thistle down that they need for uh, nesting material become available. 
Dennis Seaton of Emmons said, Al, how can I prevent barn swallows from nesting under the eaves of the house? You know, Dennis, it's been speculated that one reason swallows choose to nest close to humans is because it keeps crows and other predators away. So if you're, you're a baby swallow by the front door of the house, you got to figure there aren't going to be many crows coming in there, so life will be good. you got a pretty good chance of making it to an adulthood. In some cultures, it's considered good luck to have swallows nest on the house. My dad uh, would always, when the uh, fella, Tony Sibrid from the Wasika Daily Journal, had a side business selling lightning rods. And he'd come out to the farm trying to sell my dad lightning rods for the barn with, uh, you know, good salesmen. Just these worst-case scenarios that every salesman gives. Well, you know, lightning hits, the whole thing goes up, you lose your your livelihood. And dad would point to the barn swallows and said, uh, no barn ever burned that had a barn swallow nest in it. Uh, <laughs> that's probably not true, but it uh, it foiled Tony's, and Tony was a great guy. It foiled Tony's attempts at uh, making a big sale there and probably winning a sales contest. If you want to keep barn swallows from nesting on a building, you can block the area. I know that's really hard if they're just nesting in one little crevice kind of area. You can do that, but otherwise. You can cover it with bird netting, chicken wire, aluminum foil, or plastic cling. The barn swallows on our barn, when we grew up, always built their nest over the door that you went in on the barn, so they would, it would be, you'd have to worry about being pooped on. So they always did it. Why? Why was that? Because I mean, there was all these other places they could have made their their little mud nest, but always right over the doorway when you went into the barn. Yeah, and it becomes tradition because uh, <laughs> folks will talk about that, that uh, sometimes you know, the nest will fall down all on its own. The next year, you know, there'll be some other bird, whether it's the same bird, will come in that same area. And yeah. I I would be milking cows, and I'd look up, and there'd be the little babies looking down at me saying, what in the world are you? But um, I... It's a place that they have deemed that is uh, secure. It's a place that has a a lot of insects. Barns were pretty good places to have flies and things. Well, that was right outside where the the calf pens were, so there were a lot of flies that would attract there. But, I mean, wouldn't you think with the people going under on a regular basis that would seem more insecure, or do they know that we're not going to bother them? I think they know that we're uh, we're a lot better than having crows and things around. So if they're weighing, they're doing that uh, okay. balance, pros and cons, or they're putting that big list down on the yellow legal pad, and they said, you know, humans are the way to go. Crows, not so much. So I think they just make that choice. And it's generally four weeks from the time a swallow begins incubating eggs until the young leave the nest, so you can figure a month. I was driving around uh, yesterday doing some things, and I have been noticing, I bet you have too, Karen, that uh, evergreens, there's a lot of them that are really showing extreme winter drying around southern I have noticed that because they get so brown, and and a lot of times you wonder if they're going to be able to come back and make it or not. I think some of them aren't. Uh, um, I see a lot of spruce and arborvitae, which is what, white cedar, Mm-hmm. and white pine uh, in most in the extreme cases uh, spruce will shed needles in the upper 90% of the canopy with just a few days and the bottom branches will remain green 
But the upper canopy, canopy branches on these spruce, they become brittle. Uh, less severe cases on like red and white pine as well as white spruce. And 50% of the canopies affected. And these are severe examples of winter drying, which can affect many types of evergreens. This year in late April, we had those warm, windy days with low relative humidity that caused needles to lose moisture. Frozen soil in the root zone of these trees prevented water from moving back into the needles to replace the lost moisture. The branches buried under the snow on those days remained alive because they were not exposed to the warm, windy, and dry environment. If a tree loses, you know, if a tree has over half of its needles left, it has a chance of recovery. But boy, it's tough. You lose over half your needles. Sadly, a lot of those trees are going to be toast. We, we hate to see that. We love our evergreens. Well, you know, in the fall, I always recommend people continue to water until the ground freezes hard, especially those those uh, arborvitaes and the evergreens, because they, they really need it to make it through the winter. And arborvitae is one of them that, uh, boy, every year you see a lot of browning on those guys. And, um, and they're pretty tough because they're planted in places where people are stomping around and kids are stepping on them. And still they're able to survive that. So that's, yeah, that's great advice. I hope everyone will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. People are always looking for signs. I know I am, you know, this sign of weather and things. But I found that road work ahead signs indicate that there is road work ahead. (laughs) I've been traveling all around a few states here, and with road construction and a plentitude of potholes, my bones have been rattled and my rims have been bent. It's It's a rough road. I thought about something maybe I heard on the radio or read in the newspaper that Emma and Liam were the most common baby names for 2017. And Emma, that's the fourth straight year. It's been the number one girl's name. You know, isn't it funny? A lot of the old names are coming back. Actually, my husband just saw that Olive and Oliver were among the top names, too, and those seem like they're kind of old names as well. Yeah, boys' name in order, the top five are Liam, Noah, William, James, and Logan. So hmm. William and James, and of course Noah, too, are old, old names. Uh, girls in descending order were Emma, Olivia, Ava, Isabella, and Sophia. So everyone ending in an A. As I was driving, there were two multicolored Asian lady beetles on my car. As I, well, as I left home, they were on the car. <laughs> And I can't say that their names were Liam and Emma, but I can't say they weren't either. The one riding on the windshield managed to stay in place for 80 miles. And the one clinging to the driver's side window hung on for 107 miles. That was almost as impressive as a driver of the pickup truck ahead of me on a two-lane road who kept his right turn signal on for 27 (laughs) miles. Remember, folks, Heartland is uh, well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. I enjoyed your company. Thank you, Karen, as always. I appreciate your time. Al, thank you so much. We will be back with you next week. All right. Bye-bye.